Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Hello, hello, hello. Wow, guys. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Business Chef Podcast with me, Chef Sean Boucher. Can you believe it? 100 episodes? Man, I can't. (laughs) That's probably not the best sign, but yes, I can't believe that we've made it this far. But we have, and we're here, and I am so incredibly grateful for the people who continue to listen and share and reach out and all the different things that keep us going. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're the reason we do this and we're grateful for the opportunity to do what little we can in in educating how to make food and make money. And I also want to say a special thank you to our sponsor this last year, Clickly's. Clicklease.com. For those of you who have not checked out Clicklease, you you need to first and foremost. But if you if you haven't heard the episode with Mr. Jake Barlow or you haven't checked out Clicklease.com, you should because they provide a service for all of your equipment funding needs that you should take advantage of. It's a great service, and they're an incredible company, and we want to thank them for their support of the show this last year. Now, more importantly, what do you do for the 100th episode? We talked a lot about what we should do. We talked a lot about what we could do. And really what it came down to was that we wanted to keep it real and we wanted to say thank you to those who have supported us and helped us. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring some highlights from the most downloaded shows that we've had the pleasure of being a part over this last 100 episodes. And to do that, we we went in and we, we saw which episodes had been downloaded most. We've gone back into the archives and dug out some of these old shows, and we're going to bring some portions of these uh, to you on here. But... Uh, Most people like to start at the bottom. They like to say, you know, top 10, here's number 10, and then we're going to count down to one. Not us. We're going to start at number one, and we're going to count backwards from there. So, we're not going to build up (laughs) the, the anticipation too much. The number one episode that has been downloaded over these last 100 episodes, and to be honest with you, there's not even a close second. This episode has been downloaded by far more than any of the others. And that is Chef Katie Weiner. If you remember, Katie was one of our first guests on the show way back when, a couple years ago now. And uh, she is just incredible. She was a Top Chef contestant. She and I worked together teaching teaching culinary school and uh, forging some relationships there with uh, up-and-coming chefs and students and we kind of kind of 
follow each other here and there on, on social media. And for those of you who follow her on social media, which you should, by the way, uh, you'll know that she can fish. She can fish. So uh, without further ado, let's jump in. We're going we're gonna to tap into the episode with Katie Weiner, the most downloaded episode of these last 100. And we're going uh, to highlight some of the lessons that she taught us. I think one of the coolest things about this whole story is you've, you've been through these challenges, you've had these ups and downs, um, and then you start doing the pop-ups, you kind of gain some traction, you kind of figure out your voice, and then all of a sudden you do not a gallery, and the next thing you know, uh, it leads to great opportunities, huge opportunities. It led you to Top Chef. Yeah, so I would have never thought, you know, doing the pop-up business and then doing the Nada Gallery would have led to Top Chef. It's kind of funny how it definitely hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was um, a phone call out of the blue. I was leaving the ski resort. I mean, it's funny how I, I remember this moment, and I guess you remember big things in your life um, like that. You know, I was leaving the ski resort. I got a phone call. It said, hey, we found out about you. Um, we see you're doing incredible things, you know, as a female chef doing modernist cuisine and Salt Lake City, and we would love for you to be on Top Chef. And I remember thinking, you know, that it was a, a prank call, number one. And then uh, seeing that the number, I think, was from, like, L.A. or New York, you know, I was like, okay, this could be happening. And and uh, I said, okay, yeah, let's set up the time. You know, I'm free, you know, next week. And I remember we set up a Skype interview and some other stuff, and, and then it just happened. Um, it's a waiting game. Um, and then when I found out I actually had made the show, um, I definitely, I think even now, I mean, gosh, what, like four years later, it hasn't sunk in. I mean, we used to watch Top Chef and take Top Chef at Plum Jack. Um, my old boyfriend and I, you know, he'd work at, he's a server. I worked in the kitchen, which is kind of a funny juxtaposition. Um, you know, and we'd take Top Chef on Wednesdays. And when we had a night off, we'd go home and watch it. And I mean, Top Chef was one of those things where it was so cool to watch. And, you know, you always voted for your favorites. And all of a sudden, someone's calling me. Um, in Salt Lake City, out of all places, you know, you would think you'd get noticed in California or Chicago or New York, but here someone's calling me because of what they saw I was doing. Um, and yeah, it's just, it blows me away still that I had to move to Salt Lake City in Utah to get noticed to go on such an incredible experience. Oh, man. I remember doing that interview. Oh, boy. There's a reason why she's the most downloaded episode she's very dynamic very personable and we are incredibly grateful for her support of the show so thank you katie next up is my man mr ron sabatini also one of our very first shows he is a is a a second to katie (laughs) he uh has quite a few downloads i'll be honest um and there's a reason why the man is about as authentic authentic as as can be and he's been an incredible mentor to me over the years and uh i think people really identify with just how how humble and authentic he is so given all that you've been through in your life and your career what advice would you like to give the rising generation of culinarians particularly when it comes to getting into healthcare, possibly I think it's important to tell the young culinarians that may be on the podcast and they need to hear this. 
the commitment in the first five years upon completion of school is incredibly grueling and necessary. You need to know that every weekend and holiday of your life will be at work. And while others are at play, you will be at work learning your craft and becoming a better culinarian and a better manager in culinary arts and food preparation and the whole stepping as it is uh, in the industry, in the hospitality industry. You need to know that that minimum three to five years after Kona, you're not going to make a lot of money at all. You're still learning your trade and your craft. You're still becoming a master at what you do. And if you're not ready to make that commitment, then it might not be the best career path for you. Chef Sean, between you and I, we know thousands of chefs, but how many chefs do we know that were chefs their whole life and retired as chefs? And this is because, in my mind, the business is grueling. It's demanding. It's very demanding of your time, your energy. It creates high stress levels. There's highs and lows. Um, it's a very demanding business. It's a very competitive business. Um, I think the cooking shows, which are many, have done a great job with glorifying this craft, this thing we do, and make it look very exciting to the point where Children at home are watching these cooking shows and want to be chefs because of the cooking show. But the cooking show is not showing them the grueling path that it often takes with low pay and long hours and uh, long years honing your skills uh, in the craft and the trade craft of culinary art. So I want to say to the podcast listeners, understand what you're getting into. And if you really have the passion inside you, then go for it like there's no tomorrow. But understand what you're going to face. You're going to have quite a few years after you spend sixty or eighty thousand dollars of your parents' money in culinary school. You've got to pay your dues, and your dues will be turning vegetables and working in the stock kitchens and working in the sauce kitchens and roasting meat, learning the different items of sauté and creating your own dishes and following other people's rules and regulations and menus and recipes for quite a few years until you're able to stand up on your own two feet. That's part of the business, and that's the part of the business that's actually failing us now is that the glorification of what we do on the cooking shows is giving people a, a wrong direction or perception of what it takes to get the TV. The people that have made it to TV have already paid their dues and are at that level and moving forward. Ron is just such a good guy. So much wisdom, so much knowledge, so much passion. And again, you can see why he's the type of guy you want to follow. He's been on a couple of times. He marked our one-year anniversary also, and we are incredibly grateful for him and his contributions. If you haven't heard his episodes, go back and listen. It's worth it. Number three coming in now is a man who has also been on a couple of times, Mr. Michael McHenry. I like to refer to him as Master McHenry because <laughs> he's got a lot. He's, boy, passion, uh, excitement, vim and vigor. The dude knows his stuff, and he, he practices what he preaches. He's a great operator. 
and he's got a lot of talent and a lot of passion that he really, really exudes. So we're grateful for his contribution in making the show what it is. And, uh, yeah, just love, love some of the lessons that he's taught. When I realized that I was able to take myself pretty far when it was about me. When I was focused on me, I could be a top four, you know, I could be the fastest chef in the kitchen. I could be the fastest, you know, line cook. I could, you know, ultimately uh, be a top producing general manager. You know, I could, I, I felt confident I could hire good teams and create uh, big results. Um, and then I just found myself sort of mature into a different space. And it no longer became about what I could achieve personally or, you know, uh, what I was investing in. But it really shifted to, like who I invest in and that when it comes to prioritizing key stakeholders, that the moment that I, I would say surrendered, but the moment that I realized that it's about getting other people to the other, to the, to the other side, it's about really finding a way that I can truly champion others to their full potential. That's when my entire career changed. My entire career changed when, when I started prioritizing the key stakeholders, when I put my team members absolutely first. When, when I realized that there was no greater way to seek their full potential, to protect the experience of our customers, uh, and or protect the investment of our equity partners, than to actually provide every resource, you know, tool, experience, you know, bit of influence um, and empowerment I could to that team. I realized that the fruitful byproduct of that was you know, a cult-like following, a, a customer base that, that truly feels loved in the experience, not just liked. I just want to say that in the process of doing this podcast, I've really, really grown to appreciate what Michael just said, that he, that you really win and you really succeed and you really move yourself forward as you help bring others across the finish line. Great lessons, great lessons. One of my other incredible lessons. And one of the things that I loved, uh, in these last 100 episodes is, you know, meeting some incredible people and Debbie and Grant Strong are no exception from Strong Vertical Gardens. I got to go up there and spend some time in the actual gardens and, uh, really see that few people really practice what they preach or few people really put it all on the line like Debbie and Grant have. Well, it's pretty amazing. I, I have to say, seeing the facility, uh, meeting you guys, touring around and looking at it, you've really put your heart and soul into it. Um, and it sounds like you've really put everything on the line to make this, this happen. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. What What is it that you, you had talked about? You sold your home and you're kind of all in. We are. Um, Grant and I built a house together. <laughs> we were in it for 25 years and raised our daughters there. And we sold that and we invested every single penny that we have into this, along with the support of the USDA and, and First Utah Bank. And here here we are sitting in your temporary home. Yeah. You'll be building your more permanent home on the land here, but... Uh, uh, I don't know that anybody and everybody would do that. No. No. Especially after you've had careers that have been successful. Not everybody wants to start over, so to speak. What is it that made you want to start over? What is it that drove you to do that? Is that just who you are? 
It is. We're not overly afraid to do anything new. Uh, a lot of people are. And we're doers more than talkers. So if we have an idea and it seems viable, feasible, then we go for it. Again, just phenomenal lessons from phenomenal people. So grateful to have these experiences with these these top performers, these leaders, these industry changers. Speaking of which, our good friend Greg Gorgoni comes in next. Greg talked a lot about design, a lot about consulting, a lot about some of the things that he does and does very well. And some of the things that I think a lot of people don't take into account when they're looking at equipment and the ongoing costs of buying something. You know, you can go a little cheaper when it comes to this type of equipment, but when it comes to this type of equipment, man, you've really got to you've really got to bite the bullet and pay the money up front because it's going to save you a lot of money in the long term. You know, I, I think there there's certain pieces of equipment. Uh, let's put it this way: anything with refrigeration or anything with water going through it, you better make sure you have decent quality of stuff. I mean, those are the two pieces of equipment that that have the most likelihood of having a problem as time goes on. And so, if you're if you're going to go out, let's just say a combi oven. There's a lot of players out there in the combi combi um, category these days, and there's a lot of great combis. And, and honestly, there's a lot of great combi manufacturers today. So um, you can feel a little bit better than you were even just ten years ago in the combi market. But um, there are some real cheap ones out there, and there's some imports out there, and some of them are. You know, I'm, we would say, you know, you might not want to go that direction because in five years, this thing is probably going to be dead as a dog um, or you're just going to have problem after problem. Um, and then there's other imports, you know, let's take a rationale, for example. Rationale is smart enough and big enough to know that they had to step up their game and they've done that and they have a great combi now. Um, and so they have the parts and supplies and the, and the um, service network out there to take care of a rationale in virtually just any market. So you can feel pretty good about it. You also know that you're gonna, you're gonna pay for that. Um, you know, a lot of times we try to stick with what we, what, you know, we'll tell people uh, American made. Um, and it's, it's, you know, a little bit is, is a pride issue, you know, pushing American things, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but there's also understanding that sometimes when you're dealing with an American-based manufacturer, particularly a good one, um, they do have good inventories, they do have a lot of supplies, and they're they're, they, they're easier to deal with in terms of of, um, of getting replacement parts and having service. You know, if I have learned. If I've learned nothing over the last 100 shows, it's that we've had a very wide variety of guests, of topics, of opportunities to learn about different things that maybe we wouldn't normally have learned about. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to doing the best that we can to make really good food, make money doing it, and be consistent doing it because that is really what leads to success, is being able to be consistent in our efforts. 
I just want to say a special thank you to all of those out there who make this show possible. I want to say thank you to you for listening on a consistent basis, for your questions, your interactions. Grateful for the opportunity to do what we do, and we look forward to continuing to serve you into the future. So, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for 100 shows, and here's to 100 more. And, of course, a very special thank you and shout-out to Jake Barlow and Click Lease for supporting us and helping to make the show possible. And if you haven't checked them out, please go and do so. ClickLease.com for your equipment financing needs. Thanks again, guys. Of course, we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.